so good evening, saints, of members of the body, those blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The date is August the 9th, 2022, here in the Mysterian Room on Pal Talk. This is Michael Scotto in the city of Greensboro in the great state of North Carolina, USA. Uh, we've had some chaos at home here in the in my in the last week. So what I usually do when I do these studies, I type them all out and then I do my read-throughs and I make corrections and I do my read-throughs. Well, I, I really only had a chance to do one read-through, so this is my next read-through. So welcome to the next read-through. So <laughs> we're going to be going on tonight and uh, we'll go as far as we can. And I'm going to be covering a couple things that they're related tonight. Uh, we're going to be back in the Revelation. I, I really want to get back there uh, for my own purposes anyway, and also uh, you know, to continue my, my, my study here. So we're going to be back in the Revelation, and if we have time, maybe another topic, but I'm going to try to tie several things together tonight. Uh, everything, everything I say and do always falls under rightly dividing the word of truth. I want that to be the overriding, uh, the overriding truth, right? And, 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 Focusing on that individual responsibility that each one of us has to study the scriptures for ourselves, right, as worthy workmen. And we, we, we are here for each other. We are a body. But at the end of the day, it is up to me to, to really take whatever I hear from this group or anywhere or the Berean Expositor or from, from Oscar. And I need to, I need to find that truth to convince myself of its, of its place in scripture. Uh, so that's what the responsibility is. So my interpretations of Scripture, you know, they're open to scrutiny and even mockery, right, I, I, from believers and unbelievers alike. So my studies on the Revelation, uh, many of which are in, in smaller form on my blog, uh, just so people can digest them, you know, I, I've been called a, a stooge of Israel for being a, a dispensationalist or speaking about Israel's future or speaking about Israel's place in the Revelation. I've been called a stooge of Israel uh, one detractor recently said that I worship Israel. He said, you're one of these worshipers of Israel, merely for stating that I that Israel has blessings that she's looking forward to. And I have mine, right? I don't want Israel's blessings. You know, I'll, I'll take that criticism and mockery. It's just interesting when you try to tell people going, yeah, I believe Israel has blessings from God because God's faithful, but I, I I don't want Israel's blessings, and neither should you. I mean, you're trying to grasp onto Israel's blessings. You want to get rid of Israel. You want to get rid of God's promises to the children of Abraham so you can have them for yourself. And not only that, they often have some sort of uh, convoluted version of those blessings of Israel. People that think we're living in the kingdom today. Are you kidding me? I was just at a conference today where I had to learn about pronouns. I don't think we're living in the kingdom. Right? I know what my pronouns are. So, but with all this going on around us and the chaos and, and the world falling apart, they're trying to tell me that's what they want. You think you're living in, okay, you know, I'm trying to, I believe in a higher blessing, a blessing that was, you know, hidden from before the foundation. So, anyway, as I try to discuss these truths of right division, with those that are unenlightened yet to the truth of the current dispensation, I still have to remind myself that these are my brothers and sisters, right? These are the redeemed of the Lord. These are those who recognize their sin at some point. They recognize they were reconciled to God, who was already reconciled unto them, as Paul tells us, 
in First Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians, and we were all at one time, all of us at one time, when we first came to the Lord, we didn't know the mystery, right? But we were still beloved of the Savior. Yeah, Nick, it's it's not much of a kingdom. If this is it, this is pretty much a terrible kingdom. I mean, and not only that, we live in the United States where it's it's comparatively not that bad. You know, we have a decent uh, you know, standard of living here. Imagine living in, in squalor somewhere in the world or Christians that are being persecuted thinking you're living in the kingdom. Um, you need a new Bible with a whole other kingdom. <clears throat> anyway, um, so uh, there was one time when we didn't know that. When I first came to the Lord, I obviously didn't know the scripture. I was just happy to find grace, right? I was happy to find the Savior. I was happy to rest in his work. I was happy to be reconciled to God and, and have my sins, right? So we had to come to that. So when we're talking to people and dealing with them and, and carrying this message, we have to remember that, you know, some of them are in, are in all different places. And, and, and I want to go back to Paul's words in Ephesians, and I do this often, um, but... I'm going to go back to Paul's Ephesians to believers. Now, this is after the Acts age. Paul is Paul's given this truth alone. He has this ministry. And he opens up the book of Ephesians this way. In Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, unto the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, so Paul is calling them saints, faithful in Jesus Christ, from God our Father. Right, so this Paul is; these are Paul's beloved in Ephesians. But later, in the same chapter, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 1, Paul says, "Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, their faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints." Cease not to give thanks for you. Talk about pronouns. I'm big on pronouns when I read scripture. It's, it's very helpful in interpretation. Making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, our, again, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling? And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to the head over all things to the church, to the called out ones, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, we're very familiar with that. We read that all the time. But this is Paul, and what we pull out of that rightly is the truth of this inheritance. But what Paul's doing here in context is praying to these people. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. They, they have the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying that their eyes of understanding would be enlightened. Right? So that's what we do. We carry this message of Paul to our fellow beloved. Well, I have found that you know, my flesh 
wants to go in, you know, with guns blazing a lot of times. And to be honest, sometimes I let my flesh get in the way, and I, I do let my guns blaze, unfortunately. Uh, but I've tried to walk more and more in the new nature and step back and, and try to establish loving relationships like this, looking to my apostle, looking to how Paul did it, with those who are unenlightened unto the mystery, but still have the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father and our Lord. Right? So I have made friends with charismatics, those who are reformed, classic Acts 2 dispensationalists, even some orthodox uh, I'm friends with. You know, first of all, I try to establish them the centrality and the finality of the work of the Savior, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and once we, we find out we're, we're all resting in that truth, and he is our Father, and he is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our Savior, and we are trusting in nothing else, then I can move on to other things. And at that point, you know, you can, you can, you can just today, just today in this community, of all different kinds of folks, I was sharing about water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right? And it's not uncommon for, for folks, when, we, when a topic comes up, to say, how would you interpret this certain passage? How would you, you know, I'm the, the, the room ultra-dispensationalist, so to speak. So they said, how would, how would you, or another of your tribe, <laughs> how would they interpret this? And I said, this is how I would look at it. Right? So I can't convert anyone to salvation. I can't enlighten anyone to the mystery, but I can be, as best I can, a vessel unto honor that Paul talks about. That I can be fit for the master's use. Right? And that's what I'm seeking to be. Fit for the master's use as a vessel of honor. And to do that, I have to walk in the new nature. And not according to my flesh. As much as I want to, sometimes go in with gun blazing. So, again, when I sit back and say, it's not my responsibility to get these people to be enlightened or to be saved, but only to witness to it. I witness to it, right? That's what I'm called to do. So listen to these words. This is from the Berean Expositor, Volume 34. And it says this. The signs of the times indicate that the time for this testimony, our testimony, is short. The last members of the one body are being gathered out. And it is our prayer that the Berean Expositor may be blessed to the enlightenment of those who to know what is the hope of his calling while the day of grace continues. So it's a great reminder from, from the Berean Expositor that all they did, they prayed that they would be blessed to be used to the enlightenment of those who seek to know what is his calling. Again, I can't make men seek, but I can help them if they seek. Right? I can be God's vessel there. And that's all the Breed Expositor prayed to do. Right? They prayed that they would be there for them in the Breed Expositor. Okay, so moving on. You know, we don't know who these folks are among the beloved. We don't know who God has chosen, right, from before the foundation. So, but we're to love them, right? We're to love all the saints. You know, we don't know what blessings are for other men or for us, right? So we go about carrying this unique message of Paul, our apostle, right? 
And it's good to remind ourselves, and I do this all the time, that we are dust. We are but dust, right? We struggle at times. We have decaying minds. Uh, we make mistakes. But the Lord does honor the, the honest seeker. I mean, I wasn't satisfied with my understanding and explanation of the book of Acts. I wasn't satisfied with my explanation and understanding of the parables. I wasn't comfortable with Paul's language in Romans going through there, you know. And and so I, saw, I, I sought the truth and God led me to those who were faithful to witness unto the ministry of Paul, the apostle to me. And that's all they were. They were faithful. And then God did the enlightenment. But that's what I'm doing. I, I, I try to take that and I try to remind myself that it's the Lord, right? Not me. I wasn't around before the foundation of the ages to choose. Right? As the Lord had already determined these things. So as I work my way through the revelation, as we've been, you know, I'm groping here in terms of scripture in Israel's business. This is Israel's business. But I know that all of God's word is profitable. So as I study this, and I, I, I'm in Israel's business, I can then take that understanding and truths, which then, when I see Israel's truth become even brighter and greater understanding, it makes my truth stand out as different. And then I can compare the things that differ. And then I can present these differences even better, because I understand Israel's calling separate from my own, right? So men that try to mix all these things together will end up in confusion. So if I can help them understand some of the things in Revelation or point out things in the Revelation, then I can then point them to the differences in Colossians and Ephesians, etc. Right? So we have, we have another thing today that I ran into this week is the so-called scholars. You know, the Greek scholar, biblical scholar. Right? But these scholars... They're not doing this. They're not comparing things that differ and coming to their conclusions. I shouldn't say all of them, I mean, but in my experience, a lot of times these scholars, they believe they are right because they agree with the church fathers. Or their opinion, they've studied and they're experts in the councils of the church. Or the catechisms, right? Or they've studied the great pastors. Or their denomination has taught this for however many centuries. And so the scholar rests on his laurels, so to speak, and looks at some of us and us and say, where's your degree? As you know, they said to Peter, this man has no letters. <laughs> he has no letters after his name. And But these are the great scholars. And, and so then men say, well, I, I don't know a whole lot, but this scholar tells me that Aquinas said this, and Augustine said that, and the Westminster Confession says this, and I'm just a guy. How can I be right when the scholar and all these wise saints said all these things? And that's what's poisoning so many people, right? So when I, when I go into these things knowing this is where they are. So if I'm going to point fellow believers to the truth of this age, I have to do it humbly, realizing that I'm capable of that, right? I have to be careful. So I always present things and say, you know, that's my two cents. That's my understanding. That's how I would break down this passage. Specifically if they ask me. So since you asked me, and I might break down the Greek and everything else for them. And I've had people thank me going, wow, I've never saw that before. I didn't know that. Thank you. And I said, look, I'm not a Greek scholar. You can go read the Greek. You can go read the opinions of all these Greek scholars, and you can make an interpretation yourself, but it has to be consistent. 
It has to be consistent with context. And if it differs from some other understanding or usage, you have to figure out why. And then they might say, well, what do you figure out? I said, well, this is my understanding. So, you know, so a lot of people, they disagree with my interpretations. <laughs> That's fine. You know, I, I'm, I'm capable of error. But, I, you know, I make sure I do the work. I make sure I do the work. I make sure I'm a workman. And I don't just throw out opinions or throw out anger or, or you know, even if I quote the Brain Expositor, I'll say I'm only quoting them because they say it very well. They're not an authority. There's only one authority. That's scripture. But they say it very well, and I'm, I'm very keen to say that. I said, my opinions of Scripture, my interpretations, are my own. At the end of the day, they're my own. right? But since I am convinced that I, that we, have the key to understanding Scripture, the key, this is what my book, <laughs> Devin Dibley and the Golden Key, the Golden Key in there, in that book, is, it's a picture of, of, understanding right division. And that's what I offer. I offer this key. Some will listen, some scoff, some say I need to hear more. <laughs> but none of that's on me, right? If I'm faithful to the message of this, to the unbeliever, it doesn't do me any good to go to the unbeliever and start taking him to Ephesians 1 and explaining the mystery. If, if I take the cross and the reconciliation of God, and the, and the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord to the unbeliever, and then also with believers faithfully take the truth of right division to believers, then I answer to my master alone, right? What men say of me or my doctrines is of no concern. I don't care what you say of me. I, I don't. I'm not your judge, and they're not my judge. How's it done? You don't want to do that? You think you're living in the kingdom? How about it? You know, I'm, I'm trying to explain to you. You know, I still love you. If this is your kingdom, you know, if this is where you want to be. Um, there's a scene that's in the Poseidon Adventure. When I was a kid, I loved the Poseidon Adventure. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they get to a place and they think they're the only ones left, that group that, that escaped from the, the, the dance hall. They think they're the only ones left, and then suddenly they see this group going down the hallway. And they go, I can't believe there's other survivors. There's other people here. And they run over there, and the reverend runs over there, and there's a doctor and all the nurses, and they're, they're heading toward another part of the, the boat. And he stops and says, where are you going? And they said, go talk to the doctor. Now, this is, this is to me, I mean, this is a perfect picture of what we deal with today. Where are you headed? Where are you going? Go talk to the doctor. Go talk to the guy with the Ph.D. Go talk to the guy with the doctor of divinity. And the doctor says, that's it. We're going this way. And everybody there said, well, that's what the doctor said. He's the educated one. And, you know, he gets yelled at and says, you're going the wrong way. You're going, they're screaming at him, you're going the wrong way. You know, but it doesn't matter. They're following the doctor. So anyway, I didn't, that's not in my notes. I just thought of that. <laughs> I always think of that scene when, when people go, well, I, that's all very interesting, Michael, but I think I'm living in the kingdom and I'm spiritual Israel. Okay, I can't do anything about that, you know. So as we go back into the Revelation, coming to 144,000, right? And um, I want to consider the context, and that's what's missing today is this context. And we've already talked about that, and you can go back and find those messages for those listening first time. And, and I give a lot of the context from from Revelation one about this is for Israel, right? So um, you know we're going to be in Revelation seven, but we, we're going to back up just a little bit because it's been a while. 
right? And we're talking about this Greek word gi, Greek word gi, which is often translated earth. Right? We see that earth in scripture. And we, we broke it down before, so I'm not going to break it down completely again. I'm just going to note a few things about it that we looked at before. It appears 82 times in the text. Uh, it's, it's an important word in the book of the Revelation. Right? Uh, we, we looked at it in the seal judgments, and we noted some things about it, that when it comes to the earth and those seals, we have the word gain, which is a, a form of it, or gain, however you pronounce it. it this is a form of gi. And then again, we see the word earth. And we notice how gi, gi or gay, is translated earth sometimes, land or country. And other similar words in the New Testament. So it has these multiple meanings that people can use. And we, we looked at that in context of God's promises, that in the seals we have this gein and geese, but we say that this land, we're dealing here with the land of Israel as God sees it. Right? So that's where we've been. That's the context. I'll get into great more detail in previous studies. You can go as it does. Right? But as we go forward, we pause again to look at just two verses. And we can look at so many here, but just one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament along these lines of God's promises of the land and how God deals and sees the land and sees his people, his, his earthly people. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 60. Thank you for putting that up there, Tony. It, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. It's Ezekiel 16, 60. Now, what's the context for that chapter? Right? So, what we have is God has laid out in Ezekiel 16 an entire litany of charges against Jerusalem. It, he lists every wicked, horrible thing you can imagine. He even says there that Jerusalem is more wicked than Sodom in that chapter. But, considering all that, he never forgets his covenant. Nevertheless, great word in verse 60. Verse 60. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee, despite all that, Israel, right? And then we turn to the, the New Testament, as we call it. Romans chapter 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Right? There it is again. Well, we're not the sir. You can't find us as the circumcision. The promises of the fathers. And we read elsewhere, I think it's Romans 9, where to Israel pertain the promises. To Israel pertain the covenants, right? To Israel pertain all these things. That's, that's spiritual Israel. Right? It doesn't make any sense in that context. right? So that's where we are in the Revelation. This is God going back to the Old Testament. All the pictures there are coming to fruition in the Revelation. You see a lot of these these things in germ form. And the great thing about the prophets is that, you know, occasionally the prophets will say, Daniel said, Lord, I don't know what I'm seeing. Isn't that wonderful? Daniel says, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm seeing. Right? And he asked the Lord to reveal more to him. Right? So that God understands this about our, our, our how, how deep Scripture is and how, how limited we are. 
So just as a side note, we've noted before that Israel has to occupy a land. They have to fully occupy it for it to become fully theirs. And they have to do it in faith. Right? So this is why I can say to people that I believe the land, all the land, from the Nile to the Euphrates, is Israel. That's the plan. That's the covenant. That will come true. But today, the Israel that occupies that small strip of land in what the Romans call Palestine, right? They're not there in faith. They're not fully in control. Today, there is no such thing as a Judean, right? God deals with all of us as Gentiles. He still knows who, those who are the blood of Abraham, but he deals with us as, a, as Gentiles. So, this is how I try to explain this to people that say that I worship Israel. Michael, are you a Zionist? Yes, I'm a Zionist. So you believe that Israel there today is fulfilling God's prophecy? No, I don't believe that at all. And now their heads start to spin because they had me in a box of their choosing. But I have to take them and say, no, you need to step back and say, yes, I'm a Zionist because I believe God keeps his promises. And I believe God remembers his covenants. And I believe that, as it says in Hebrews and in Jeremiah, that the new covenant is yet future. But, so I am a Zionist. It is theirs. But that doesn't mean I have to believe the Israel that they are today is, is God's people doing God's will. You know, I can be critical of them. I don't worship that Israel. They're another nation on the map of nations. Right? So it's, it's a gentle ground that we walk on. We don't want to be anti-Semitic. But how can I be anti-Semitic when I don't even recognize Semites? <laughs> We're all Gentiles, right? So I can't be anti-Semitic. <laughs> so, you know, the focus, as we're still in Revelation, is Israel. You know? And the earth, as, as we've broken down before, is the land of Israel. But then we have, what is the sea? Right? We have the word here, Thalassin uh, in the Greek. It's used of the Sea of Galilee and elsewhere in Scripture. It's used in general to mean of men by the sea. We have the same word used of the Red Sea and used in general for the Mediterranean, this Greek word. So these are all seas. And what did I notice about these seas? They're all touched by the Promised Land. They're all touched by the Nile to the Euphrates, all these seas. Right? This is the land promised Abraham in Genesis 15. So I would say based on the context, we're dealing with the land from the Nile to the Euphrates. And all the seas therein, and all the seas connected to that land. So I don't think I do much violence to the context, right? So as the Lord prepares to call this 144,000 out of 12 tribes of Israel, he instructs his angels to seal, right, to to withhold bringing judgment on the land and see. So at this point, Israel is generally still in unbelief. This is the part of the God, and this is the part of God, as He said in the prophets. This is the judgment He is bringing, so He can separate the wheat from the chaff, so He can separate the good servants from the bad servants, so He can separate those who are truly obedient 
in faith and those who are not. Right? This is the purifying. He puts Israel through a purifying fire. Right? So, if we go back to Ezekiel just for a moment, in light of this, the seals of chapter 6 and the four angels, the sealing 144,000 in chapter 7, where we first meet them, we look back again at Ezekiel's prophecy. And it starts off in chapter 1. He gets this vision in verse 5 of four living creatures. Right? And we'll leave that there. First 12 chapters of Ezekiel concern Israel and Jerusalem becoming desolate. This is, this is God's process in the prophets. He's going to make Israel and Jerusalem desolate. And in the last 13 chapters is restoring this desolate land. Right? So there are parallels with the first 12 chapters of Ezekiel, making Israel desolate, with this section of the revelation that we're in. God is still dealing with Israel in desolation, but he's starting to call out. Right? So if we go back to Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6 again, this is a reminder. He opened the third seal. I heard the third living creature say, come and see. There's, there's again, we're calling back to the prophets, which are sent to Israel. They're not sent to us. Paul is sent to me, not Ezekiel. Right? So the third living creature says, come and see. And behold, lo, a black horse. And he sat on him a pair of balances. And I heard in the midst of the four living creatures say, a measure of wheat for a penny. Now we explained the living creatures in previously, so you can go as di- how it differs from the, from the King James and the reasoning why I use four creatures there, living creatures. One of the reasons is it points back to the prophets. So a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Right? So he held a pair of balances in his hand. So now let's look at Ezekiel 4.16. I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, in the land, in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care, and they shall drink water by measure and with astonishment. So we have balances. We have the measuring, right? Measuring and weighing, right? We have that same concept. So Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6 Go through the midst of Jerusalem and mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. I'll just pause there and say, so this is God going through the judgment, going through the land in desolation, weighing out with care, right, bread and water. And in the midst of that, he's marking the foreheads. That sound familiar, right? So he's going through Israel in this time of desolation and calling them out. Continuing, and to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye out through the city and smite. Not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Does that not sound like it fits in the book of the Revelation, right? God is calling the faithful from among the unfaithful. He is in the midst of the desolation, looking for those of faith that he will use in the restoration. This makes no sense in this age. God is not, if this is the kingdom we're living in, that means he's already restored it. If the book of Revelation is passed, free from those who hold it as future, what would God be doing? How is he doing this now? He's not, right? So, 
this scene in Ezekiel is calling to mind the calling out of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations done in the midst of Jerusalem in the tribulation. You can see that parallel. So we mark, we contrast this with those who take the mark of the beast. Right? So there's God's mark and then there's the mark of the beast. God's mark versus Satan's mark. So now we actually get on to the 144,000. <laughs> We're going to knock this out here in the next few minutes. So we're in verse 5 of, of Revelation 7 is where we're starting. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of, the Gad, of Gad were sealed 12,000. Asher sealed 12,000. Uh, Bethlehem sealed 12,000. Manasseh 12,000. tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Sealed, 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 sealed. tribe of Levi sealed 12,000. Issachar. Seal 12,000. Zebulon, seal 12,000. Tribe of Joseph, seal 12,000. The tribe of Benjamin, David's tribe, sealed 12,000. Right? So, I mean, tribe of Judah, but Benjamin was uh, the, the, the good tribe, the part, part of Judah, I should say. I'm sorry. So let's pause and look at this listing of the 12 tribes. Now, it's interesting, as you know, the listing of the 12 tribes vary throughout scripture. So these are things that differ. So we need to figure out why they differ, right? So here's here's my shot at it. Could change tomorrow. <laughs> so when Israel occupied the area around the tabernacle, this is going way back to Numbers 2. When God gives that list, he omits Levi. But he includes Ephraim and Manasseh as the sons of Joseph. So he puts the tribe of Joseph as a double blessing. But he, he leaves out Levi because Jacob had prophesied this, right? He gave the sons of Joseph a place among his sons. Right? Genesis 48.5 says, And now thy sons, who were born to thee in the land of Egypt, before I came to thee in Egypt, shall be mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be like tribes. Right? So, and they were born in Egypt. That's a whole other interesting picture. We won't go there today. So we're going to jump ahead to Numbers 26. God speaking to Moses in verse 53. They want, my pal talk wants me to enter their rewards street. That's going to pop up. And so in Numbers 26, God tells Moses how the inheritance of the land will be divided. He names the tribes and their families, and again, Levi is separated out with the, with the land about the tabernacle, verse 53, right? The sons of Levi were not numbered among the children of Israel, because there is no inheritance given them among the children of Israel. So when it comes to the inheritance of land and occupation of land, the priestly tribe Levi has no claim. They serviced the tabernacle, later the temple. This was the reason for the tithe, to support them. Right? It supported the temple and supported the priesthood. Well, we don't have a temple of priesthood today, so there is no tithe. That's a whole other argument. I get into tithe arguments all the time with people. Discussions. Right? That's just a note. So now we jump ahead back into Ezekiel, to Ezekiel 48, into, the, into that restoration section, the future temple. Again, temple, these are all having to do with Israel. So we see two lists of tribes. The first involves the, the inheritance, and again leaves out Levi, but when the gates of the city are listed, Levi's there. Israel and Manasseh are now represented simply by Joseph. 
So we're comparing the things that differ. And we've noted numerous times the book of Revelation is a Hebrew book. It is an Israeli book. It deals with Israel's future. So Levi is there in Revelation 7. This is not a matter of splitting up the land. Because Levi would have no part of that. Right? This is a matter of calling out to the restoration of Israel. But now Ephraim and Dan are missing. Joseph now joins Manasseh. Right? So where are Dan and Ephraim? So now, we're back in this part of Revelation, which is the time of testing Israel and desolation. Now this is, God is testing Israel. He's cleansing them. Right? So you have pagan worship in the northern kingdom. Right? Where was pagan worship in the northern kingdom centered? It was centered in Dan and Ephraim. Look at Jeremiah prophesying to wicked Israel. O O Jerusalem, Jeremiah 4, verses 14 and 15. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. And even in God's judgment, he hasn't forgotten them. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. That's Jeremiah 4 and 5. Right? So I believe Joseph takes Ephraim's place as a picture of God's justice and grace. So he separates out those in Ephraim who did not bow a knee to the pagan gods. And he still includes them as part of Joseph. Right? So some were good and faithful servants. Others were slothful and wicked idolaters. That's what the Lord, when the Lord comes, he sees good and faithful servants in Israel. And he sees slothful and wicked idolaters. Right? Good and faithful and then the slothful and the wicked. And that's, what, and that's what we see amongst Israel itself. And you have these pictures of God's judgment and pictures of God's grace. So when the Jerusalem comes down from heaven, right, in Revelation 21, we see the gates. Now we're going back to bringing to mind those gates of Israel's restoration in Ezekiel 48. We see the original 12 sons of Israel, including Levi, Dan, and Joseph. So at this point, when you get to the New Jerusalem, these are those who came out of the wickedness. right? These are those who turned to the living God. These are those that turned away from wickedness. The purity seen in the virginity of 144,000. Right? So when you get to the New Jerusalem, you have all 12 original tribes because it's a picture of God's grace and blessing to those who turn. He's ready to forgive. They're in wickedness in the beginning of Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. But God is about taking them from desolation and restoring them. And obviously New Jerusalem is the full restoration which comes down from heaven. Right? At the time. And then you see all 12 tribes listed on the gates. Right? So the 144,000 I just almost started my own new religion, 124,000. 144,000 are sealed. This is a long Greek word I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's the word sealed. It's used in 12 verses in the Greek New Testament. Seven of those verses are in the Revelation, right? So here in chapter 7, there's 13 usages in 12 verses. So to get some idea about this word, and we're coming to the end here, about this word seal, I'm going to go back to our epistle. Ephesians 1, verse 13. After you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is God's 
reward for faith. This is God's reward for faith. In chapter 4, verse 30 of Ephesians, Paul tells us, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Right? Because of our faith. Because after we believed, we were sealed. So God is keeping his promise to us. Right? So these are those that turn to God, even from wickedness. And we all came from various degrees of wickedness, right, in the old man before we came to the Lord. So here we get a glimpse of Israel's calling, right, in, the, in this 140,000 to be a kingdom of priests, right, in this 144,000. And then we turn again to the prophecy of Zechariah, again for Israel. It says there's a day coming. It's one of my favorite verses. I quote this all the time to people who think we're living in the kingdom or we're spiritual Israel. That Zechariah says, the day is coming when Gentiles will grab the skirt of a Judean, right, and beg him to be taken to God. Zechariah 8.23, Michael's translation. So that day has not come. But they will serve as the priests that the Lord called them out to be. He didn't call Adam to be a priest for the nations. He didn't call the sons of Noah. He called in Israel, in the Old Covenant, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, right? A nation of priests. A kingdom of priests to the nations, right? And that is the Old Covenant, which they failed, but they will be, God will restore them in the New Covenant. So the Lord seals his 144,000 Israelites for their Ezekiel-like calling, so now you would think that these are Israelites. You'd think that would be so obvious, but men still do not want to believe. Right? You know, I can't make them believe. They still want to grab onto these blessings. As wonderful as all the blessings at the end of the book of Ezekiel are, or as wonderful as the blessings in the New Covenant of Jeremiah 31 to 33, as much as wonderful as the New Covenant in Hebrews 8 is laid out, as wonderful as all those things are, members of this group would not trade them one moment for the blessing, the unsearchable riches that we cannot even comprehend. The depth and the breadth and the height, the length. We cannot even comprehend that. I don't want to trade that. And at the same time, I don't want to rob Israel of her blessings. They're hers. Right? We talked about this. The book of Revelation is full of symbolism. Right? It is a vision. So we have to be careful. There, there are specific things that are real and things that, that point to things. But here, we have such a specific number as 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. It seems very arbitrary to say this is suddenly means all believers of all times of any ethnicity. No, no, no. These 144,000 are 12,000 sealed, called out from the desolation of Israel because of their faith from the 12 tribes that are listed there, as God seeks to restore Israel by purifying Israel. That's the thing. God's not going to restore a wicked Israel. He's going to restore a purified Israel one day. Not today. Not the Israel that's there in unbelief today. Not the Israel that has rampant homosexuality and abortion today. Not that nation. Not those that call Christ but a man. Not that nation, but of the children of Abraham, God will cleanse that people 
and call out unto himself those that believe in him, right? So we would have to ignore all this to create some sort of spiritual Israel. Right? And it's interesting, I was reading the Catholic Catechism, as I'm wont to do occasionally, and when they were describing themselves as spiritual Israel, they actually say, just like the Reformed traditions. <laughs> now, they, they, they have a little tweak on it, but they, they agree with the Reformed tradition that they're spiritual Israel. You know, I love them when they're Reformed who are supposed to be the so biggest anti-Catholic people in the world. They, they agree with the Catholic Church on an awful lot. Right? Because they, they both get their truths from outside Scripture. Right? They get their truths from men, from scholars, from saints, from councils, from catechisms. Right? So they have to force, they have to force a belief into the book of Revelation that's not there. It's not there. It's not there. And I'm not there. Right? And I'm, I, I, but I'm doing the best from my vantage point to understand it because it is profitable. So, uh, just to close this off, right? just final words here. In Revelation 7-9, they would point to this and say, Behold, a great multitude, no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne of the Lamb. Right? So they would say, there it is, there's your all nations. Ignoring the rest of the chapter, by the way, but they'll say all nations. But I wanted to address that before we go. But the word translated of here is the Greek word ek, and we're very familiar with that word. And we know that the translators of the, of the King James didn't really know what to do with this, this word. And, but the revised version renders this here from. Young's literal says out of. So we know from the Lord Jesus in describing his own resurrection, you know, he's out from among the rest of the dead, right? And, and Paul using this in Philippians 3.11, special resurrection out from among the rest of the dead, right? So even some translations, interlinear translations, uh, use Mark 9, 9, that the Lord is resurrected out from the rest of the dead, which is why they didn't understand it. They knew what resurrection was, <laughs> but they didn't understand what resurrection out from the rest of the dead was, right? So the Lord has this special resurrection. So in Revelation 9, 7, we see a multitude of people that is called out from among the nations, Right? So we can't forget the context. So I would just offer you the last two thoughts, and I haven't figured out which one of these it is yet, that we're either seeing here in 7-9, whether this is ones of Israel being called out from the nations of the world, or which is the faithful ones of the nation itself being called out of the nation of Israel itself. So in either case, it doesn't matter. We're still dealing with the sons of Israel however you want to approach that. And when you look at the chapter as a whole, how you can find anything except for Israel there, you have to go outside of Scripture to do that. All right. So, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you <laughs> helping me tonight, and I thank you, and I praise you, and I love you. And, Lord, thank patience of those listening as, the, as, you know, as I walk through this study again and uh, was, again, being overwhelmed with your love. Lord, help us to remember that those around us who, first of all, don't know you need to know the risen Christ and hope in the resurrection. And we also, those of us who do know you, Lord, that you love them and they are called out and they are the beloved. 
And we need to love them. But Father, help us to be faithful to the resurrection and faithful to this calling that we have, Father. Faithful to our Apostle Paul. Faithful to his message. Faithful, Father, to the seven books that you've given to us as our instructions. And faithful, to, especially to 2 Timothy 2.15, Lord, that we would be workmen, individual workmen. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we love you and we love each one here and bless each one, Lord, and just search their hearts for whatever need they have, Father, and meet it in the way you would, that would bring glory to you and bring peace to their heart. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.